Hare Krishna, everybody. This is a spontaneous Raganuga broadcast on, uh, let's see, it is Saturday, uh, January 4th, 2020. I'm here in, uh, where am I now today? Every day it's someplace different. Uh, Petaluma still, in Petaluma, California. And I got a visit from a young man named Eric, who is chanting Hare Krishna and who learned about Krishna consciousness from my disciple Palika at the Bliss Cafe in San Luis Obispo. So Eric is going to ask questions, and if I get the answers right, I can win valuable prizes. Okay, so we'll begin. So Eric, uh, let's see. Go ahead. Um, so one question that's kind of been on my mind for a while, ever since there's a one verse, I think it's in chapter three or four of the Bhagavad Gita, where Sri Krishna explains the idea of non-doership. And I guess I've sort of been a little confused about to what degree do we have free will and to what degree are we not the doer? Because I remember okay. a statement about how I, I could I could be phrasing this wrong, I, but I think it went something like, one should not be bewildered by the results of action because it's like the modes of material nature are acting. acting so okay. So uh, first of all, Krishna says in the Gita, perhaps that's the verse you're referring to, Naiva Kinshit Karomi Tiyuko Tatuvit. That a tatuvit, someone who really knows the truth, uh of it, uh knows the fundamental categories of truth. Uh such a person thinks that I'm not doing anything at all. That that literally the modes are acting, functioning within the modes. And uh, thinking this way, that person's not attached. So to say that we're doing nothing does not mean that we don't make decisions. We do make decisions for which we're responsible. After all, it would be absurd that to say there's a law of karma if we're not responsible. So we are responsible. But the idea here is that we are not the body. Mm -hmm. And so we will the body to act. It's like when you program a machine to do something, you're responsible because you programmed the machine but you are not the machine and, and you are not, for example, you can program a machine to lift a very heavy weight. So you're not lifting it, but you're responsible for uh, directing the machine to do that. Uh, and uh, so that's the point that Krishna's making. Our body is really, uh, it's composed of matter, but it's composed of different modes of nature as well. And so because of that, we're attracted to different modes outside. And so in that sense, our senses, which are situated in the modes, are functioning within the senses outside. I see. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because um, b- before I came to Krishna consciousness, I, I used to be an uh, Advaita body. So, you know, oh they, <laughs> so they, you know, they kind of don't really believe in free will ultimately because, you know, it's the all one kind of thing. But... Well, not, yeah, not believing in free will is kind of silly because yeah. 
if you have no free will, why try to convince you to believe their philosophy? Yeah, yeah. And you have to choose to believe their philosophy. So yeah, it's it's remarkably incoherent. So um, any other question? Um, yes. Yeah, so One second. You ready? If any of you out there in Facebook land, if you have any questions, you can also write in. Be sure to uh, type out your credit card number. That was a joke. I know I'll never get rich doing this. Um, so one other one thing. second. Okay. So um, one one other thing that's kind of been on my mind is um, with Krishna West. From my understanding, is that it's to adapt certain details, but not compromise the fundamental principles of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And hey, maybe you could explain that to some ISKCON leaders. <laughs> uh, so, uh, um, I guess I was just wondering, with that sort of adjustment of details to a Western context, um, to what degree does the strictness that we keep of uh, sattvic eating uh, still apply? Like, for example... I understand. Uh, I understand. What sattvic eating is. Um, Facebook is telling me something. It's offering me a badge. No, I don't want a badge. I'm already a sheriff. Okay. Uh, yes, we don't change the... We, to offer Krishna, say, food in the mode of goodness, which is not done in many communities, because if you look at the kind of food consumed by many devotee communities, it's extremely passionate. It's uh, hot, spicy fried, unhealthy, which is not in the mode of goodness. So we're not changing that. We, according to Krishna, we should uh, live a virtuous life and offer that to Krishna. So yes, to adapt to the West does not mean to go down in the modes from goodness to passion. It actually means to go up because uh, we're going from a lot of the very passionate food which is offered to Krishna in various places and trying to emphasize food in the mode of goodness as an offering to Krishna. I see. Um, you have another question? Yeah, I guess kind of coming off of that, I guess I was wondering, because I know certain devotees, some that I know that are around my age, or maybe some who are like maybe 10 years older or so, I know like 20 that years some, older like maybe. <laughs> some of them, uh, I know that um, when they, like, for example, I know that they keep, you know, sattvic diet and stuff for the vast majority of time, but I know sometimes when they go to restaurants, there will be minute amounts of garlic or something like that in some of the food. And so, from my understanding, garlic is not offerable. So, does the whole, does the, uh, principle that I know some older devotees had about just not going to restaurants entirely, um, does that, is that still recommended? Um, yeah, not going to restaurants entirely is a good idea. Sometimes you can't avoid it because you're traveling. Mm -hmm. Even Prabhupada, there are many stories where Prabhupada was traveling and he ordered his disciples to eat food that was sold on the train. Okay. So in general, we should avoid it as far as we can and avoid garlic certainly as far as we can. And uh, as a general rule, even Prabhupada's, I mean, Prabhupada's example is sometimes if you're traveling and preaching, it's uh, we can't. We don't have facility to cook. I see. So it's more of like a practical thing. Yes, but we should avoid onion and garlic as much as we can. I see. 
that that makes sense. And um, I guess this is sort of a well, you've got questions. <laughs> so this is sort of a minute detail. It's a little bit related to the sattvic food topic. So uh -oh, since detail. So um, so as I understand, uh, for example, um, alcohol is completely uh, restricted because you know it. it you know we know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was just wondering because I recently discovered that fruits, when they become ripe after like a couple days, they have very trace amounts of alcohol, but okay. of course they can't. Okay, I got it. Yeah, if you eat very ripe fruit, uh, I don't think that's, it's not, a, it's not the point that you can never ingest anything that has trace amounts of alcohol. It's that you should not take, you know, liquids that make you drunk uh, or that, you know, that, that are intoxicants like liquor, wine and so on. Obviously a trace amount of alcohol a very ripe fruit is, you know, I don't know, I think people really get drunk from that. You can eat very ripe fruit and still drive. I see. That, that makes sense. Cause, uh, it's a question of alcohol content in the blood. And I don't think that eating very ripe fruit takes it over the line. That, that makes sense. Because I've, um, some, some devotees who I interact with online, there's sort of been a debate about. Yeah, I, yeah, there are endless debates. I just... That's why I'm out here in the middle of nowhere chanting Hare Krishna. Because I really, you know, yeah, we have a world to save. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> uh, let me see if I have another. Last question. Um, I'll, I'll try to get another, another big one. Um, a big one. <laughs> hmm. Ah, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. <laughs> oh, uh, Yugala Rasa and Krishna Priya are listening or watching. Another devotees. Um, so, on the topic of book distribution, um, Hold it. Go ahead. So, um, on the topic of book distribution, I've kind of been thinking about this one a lot. Is uh, so within ISKCON, uh, you know, it's recommended to distribute Shula Prabhupada's books, and you know, many of them were written in the '60s, '70s, and such. And uh, I was just wondering. Um, in certain instances, like when preaching to certain audiences, like say, for example, younger people who might maybe uh, take aversion to like, for example, certain maybe statements that might be in some of the books or maybe just the way that some things are phrased or. Yeah, we're aware of that. I was wondering in what instances is it is it is it always recommended that regardless of those things, uh, those details, that we still distribute Srila Prabhupada's books, or should yeah, we I, yeah, I understand. Yeah, um, I personally believe that we should distribute books in Prabhupada's line, either Prabhupada's books or books that are serving Prabhupada's mission, books that people can read, understand, and accept. Prabhupada is the founder of Charya Viscon. We should give people books that will bring them to Prabhupada's mission. Once someone understands Krishna consciousness, then, you know. So, uh, 
I believe ISKCON should study these things, do marketing studies. We should find out what effect different books have on people. And we should do what real publishers do. And that is uh, figure out what effect our books are having on people and how we can get people to read more of our books. Here's a question from Tony Barca. How can I join Krishna West? It seems to be more in line with what our great master was trying to evolve. Well, you know what I'm going to say about that. Yes, so uh, go to krishnawest.com, and I hope they put a contact us link there. And so, yes, please do get in touch with us. Here's another question from Ankush Kumar Singhal. Hare Krishna Maharaj, how should a devotee take sufferings from other devotees? Not very pleasant, is it? How much tolerance should a devotee have to advance in Krishna consciousness? Well, Lord Chaitanya said to be more tolerant than a tree, which is very tolerant. Uh, we should not allow ourselves, if we can help it, to be abused physically, emotionally, financially. Uh, we should, it's because if we allow other people to abuse us, uh, then that person will suffer greatly and it doesn't really do much for our life. So if we've made our best effort, effort, we've done everything possible and still something bad happens, we have to take it as Krishna's mercy, but we should do everything in our power to avoid uh, abuse from other people and certainly not let them abuse anyone else that that we know or, or or anyone abuse is not you know tolerating abuse is not a sign of Krishna consciousness it's a sign of some emotional problem so Tammy Zilberg to what degree can we make individual decisions concerning the traditional behavior like choosing not to bow and not to stretch on the floor. Is that acceptable by Krishna? It's a very interesting question. Uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, it's the word or the words namaste in Sanskrit means a bow to you. And as we know from Europe and Japan and other cultures, a bow is not necessarily on the floor. Uh, <clears throat> So, um, but we do find like offering what we call offering obeisances or bowing down on the floor. It's found in the Old and New Testament, actually. And in the Middle East, they certainly did that. And, and in India, they did. Although uh, it doesn't mean that every time it says someone bowed to someone else that they went to the floor. Because sometimes in the Bhagavatam, uh, it says, she just uh, that... Uh, that someone actually that bowed down and touched their head to the floor and, and most of the time it doesn't say that so um personally uh i and this is not i'm not now i'm not speaking now what i think should be just what i think is the fact i don't think it seems to me extremely difficult to, for me to imagine a time when very large numbers of intelligent of western people are going to bow down to each other on the floor. Uh, this problem with the West or just this characteristic of the West goes back thousands and thousands of years. There was a big controversy with Alexander the Great. His soldiers, of course, were loyal to him, were disturbed because Alexander wanted them to bow down, offer obeisances, 
because when they invaded the Persian Empire, the Persians did it, you know, the Eastern people did it, and so Alexander liked it, and his soldiers revolted against this. So this thing about bowing down, it's a very old controversy between East and West, actually. So um, as far as an individual, individual decision, I suppose I'm in a temple room. I think I would rather bow down than have everyone stare at me. Um, so as far as other situations, of course, everyone has to choose for themselves. <laughs> yes, there's another comment that uh, the influence of the female and how she balances out the energy of the masculine. Why else would Krishna create Radha? That's, yeah, I, I agree that that the female and the male together are the absolute truth, as stated clearly at the beginning of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. That actually uh, Radha and Krishna are one soul. It's an amazing statement. I've spoken on this in other classes, but Radha and Krishna, according to the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Ekatmana, or two people. In this course, this is infinitely romantic, but there are two people who are one soul. I mean, that's about as romantic as you can get, right? Two people who are one soul. And that's what the Chaitanya Charitamrita says. So here's one. Is the UBI, what is the UBI? Compatible with the idea of Krishna consciousness. I actually don't know what the UBI is. Let me see. Universal basic income. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that, that hardworking people have to subsidize lazy people. It's not that. But if someone is doing their best or has some health issue or just for whatever reason, despite their best efforts, can't really make it, then yeah, everyone I, uh, in, in the Vedic system, absolutely, that people have negative and positive rights. That is a, a technical legal term. Uh, negative rights means your right to be free from different kinds of abuse that people steal from you or, or rape or killing or whatever. So to be free from, to have a legal right to be free from certain types of abuse is called a negative right because it's free from something. And then uh, let's say positive rights would be things like freedom or the right to the right to education, the right to medical care. And yes, absolutely in Vedic culture, people had a right to medical care and a right to education. And that's probably one of the big deficiencies of the right, the modern right wing, modern right wing politicians that they, uh, they minimize these positive rights, the right to education. They will argue that in the Bill of Rights uh, in the United States that it mentions mostly negative rights. But I think uh, if, if you look at the whole picture and all the writings on the Constitution, that the purports of the Constitution in, in uh, texts like the Federalist Papers, I think without question that in a civilized society, people have a right for, to medical care to education and things like that. So what about offering food? This is from April Dawn. It's a very interesting name. What about offering food that has been contaminated through material activity? Milk, for example, as all milk sourced in the U.S. comes from dairies that kidnap and kill the calves, is this milk not unfit for offering or therefore unfit as well for consumption? Food for thought. <laughs> yes, it is. Food for a thought. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. It's the dairy industry, of course, is is very demonic, very demonic, and they even have the they have this adding insult to injury. They talk about their free range, you know, meat or eggs, or it's just like disgustingly stupid and hypocritical. At the same time, it's a fact that some people, for their health, have to take dairy products. I mean, if I can just be honest here and confess, many times I tried to be vegan because I think it's a great idea to be vegan considering what's going on. And uh, for years I tried it and I became anemic. And I know I did because, you know, I know better than anyone else what actually happened to me. So I really won't ex allow anyone to tell me, no, that, that's not really what happened to you. And I went, I have a very good doctor in Los Angeles, an excellent doctor, and he confirmed that. So um, I would say that if I was able to be vegan and be healthy, I, I would do it, actually. But I'm not able to. So uh, thank you for all your kind comments. How important is deity worship? Uh, it's deity worship. But inspires and strengthens all of us. It's Krishna. Of course, Prabhupada told me when I took sannyas in 1972. Wow. That was a while ago, wasn't it? 1972? Well, anyway, so um, that is, uh, we were walking on the beach and I um, I think it was Vishnu Jana, perhaps? One of the sannyasis asked Prabhupada, uh, should sannyasis travel with deities? And Prabhupada said, no. He said, Lord Chaitanya didn't travel with deities, which is why so many sannyasis in this country travel with deities. But anyway, so, um, yeah, but I think stopping in temples and or going to temples and seeing the deities, yes, it's very purifying, very, very purifying for all of us. So, um, how, so how would you recommend deity worship function in Krishna West? Boy, yeah, because if I start changing the rules for deity worship, that won't be controversial, will it? They'll hang me from the highest tree. So is dressing Lord Chaitanya in sannyas clothes possible? Uh, deity worship is so sensitive a topic, and people are so easily outraged that I... Just leave it to the deity worship ministry. Also based on Prabhupada's personal instruction to me in nineteen seventy-four not to get involved so much in the deity worship. Just preach. So uh also I mentioned the word Maharaj, which means great king, which in the Shastra is only used for great kings. So I will allow people to call me great king if they give me a great fortune, treasure, like kings have. So if you can do that, then you can definitely call me great king. So tonight we heard a class on faith and how at times devotees lose faith because of different circumstances and our own choices. Would you be willing to discuss how one can strengthen one's faith when it weakens? There's a that's quite a topic that would take a while to explain, but I would say 
basically Prabhupada taught that you can strengthen your faith by associating with faithful people. That's why we have satsanga or sadhusanga. That's why we are urged to associate with devotees, especially more advanced devotees, because faith is contagious. And uh, doubt is also contagious. So that's why we need good association. Uh, Anku said, why not? But I'm not sure what that refers to because there's so many comments here. So uh, someone said the Krishna mantra is the deity. Yes, and the deity is also the deity. Uh, that's the system Prabhupada gave us. Is it offensive to not offer milk products to Krishna as Krishna's pastimes are as a cowherd boy? Uh, if someone's actually a, a pujari, uh, as we know, the, the temples offer milk products to Krishna. And apparently that's pleasing to Krishna. We assume that the cow that gave the milk receives great benefit. So I don't really feel I can tell all the temples in the world stop offering dairy products to Krishna. The real point is, the real point here is that we have to preach and change the world. Because, to be honest, if you or I are vegan, it's nice, but it doesn't change anything. And so, what we really need to do is change things, and for that we need to spread Krishna consciousness. So the unconditional basic income gives everyone the right to choose and to say also no sometimes to the unacceptable situations and terrible job situation, but to have at least always the opportunity to have enough basic money for food, clothes, and a small room to live. What is your opinion? I believe people should definitely have clothes, especially when they go out in public. They should have clothes. They should be able to eat healthy food, not only eat, but actually have healthy food and a place to live. And um, yeah, as we know, if you have guaranteed income, some people who really deserve it will get it, and some people who really don't deserve it will get it. Some people, by receiving that, will escape from abusive employment, and some people will exploit the system. And in the name of a bad job will simply, you know, uh, engage their own laziness and exploit other people by letting them work for them. So if, if we do have a guaranteed basic income, uh, it has to be distributed very carefully so that it doesn't encourage uh, some people to exploit others, which is not good. So I believe that's all the questions here on Facebook. Thank you all for watching. As I said before, it'd be kind of be a little discouraging if I went on Facebook and nobody showed up. So thank you all for watching. You can distribute uh, to other people. Make me famous. Yeah, I'm just joking. So thank you all. Thank you all very much. And uh, hope to see you again very soon. All right, Krishna.